I want to read a passage of scripture to you this morning and um, that passage of scripture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, hope you have and have a look in there whether it's in your phone or on paper. I'm old school. It's on paper. Hey, and if you come and do the study on Hebrews, which is faith that works, right? You'll actually see that all of my notes are actually written in what's called Peter font. Yeah, because I can't type. And uh, so, yeah, Peter font. It's very neat, very neat writing. Tradesman-like writing. But here this morning, we're looking here particularly at uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Now, one of the things I've had a lot of people come and say to me over the years is, Pastor Peter, if I knew what God's will was for my life, I'd do it. I'd do it. And uh, right here in verse 3, it tells us, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So here's God's will for your life, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. And we already told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, because of this, he whom rejects his instructions does not reject man, but God, who gives you the Holy Spirit, who gives you the Holy Spirit, just blat, gives it to you. You don't have to pay for the Holy Spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other to love each other. And in fact, you do all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers, do so more and more increasingly. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Not dependent on anybody, that's part of sanctification. It's a big word. And the thing is here, it is God's will. It's not negotiable. It's not something that you can say, you know, oh, well, you know, sanctification, I'm justified now, uh, saved by grace through faith. And sanctification, well, you know, that's probably for people who are going to be pastors or missionaries. I'll just turn up occasionally and uh, it's good. I'm saved, you know. But see, it's not negotiable. God says it is his will that we are sanctified. And it literally, it literally means to be made special. Are you special? I'm special. I've had lots of people tell me over the years that I'm a little bit special. I don't know if they meant that in a good way or a bad way, but I know how special I am to God. We're set apart. And you know, what it really means is that you're not common. You know, in my day, my grandmother, she had a special uh, dinner setting. It had little gold leaf around the edges and little flowers on it. And I think it had little Scotty puppy dogs on there somewhere or something like that. And little cups, you know, tea cups with a little fancy handle on them and all of that, you know. And they, that, that only came out of the special cabinet when there was special people coming for a meal. It wasn't for common use. And we're like that with God. 
We're special to him. We're favoured by him. And that carries two dynamic aspects that we need to understand about this term sanctification. One is that like that crockery that my grandmother had, God has taken us in the world and he set us apart and he's made us special for him. Yes. Special for him. Yes. I, think that's an, I think that's amazing. You know, I'm not just clanging around in the miry bog with everybody else anymore. I've been lifted out of that and I've been made special. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that. The second thing in devotion is something that Pastor Stewart has talked about a few times, and that's fitness. Fitness as a Christian. And fitness basically carries those dynamics that uh, we love God. How do we, how do we get fit for God? In sanctification. We love God. And like Paul writes here, we live a clean life. We live a clean life. We don't, uh, you know, act common. Remember back in the day, I can remember, you know, if you said something that was a bit rough or if you did something that was a bit questionable, you know, my, my grandmother would say, oh, don't be common. Do you remember that? And, you know, what it means is that, you know, you're not, that's not who you are. You're special. She would say to me, you're a Clegg. That's important, Peter. You're special. I kind of worked out what that meant in time, being a Clegg. It means living clean, showing compassion, not just letting things slide by. You know, you can have an opportunity to show compassion to people, not just let... And I can remember there's been times when I've been standing there, even with Christian brothers, and I've been, you know, we've been watching someone struggle you know, and, and people would just stand and watch people struggle. Compassion says, I'm going to step across there and help this person. Whatever it is, I'm going to help them. If it means helping them push their car off the road, if it means, you know, whatever it is, you have this sense and you're drawn, you're drawn to love and show and demonstrate that love of God to people. You're not common. So you show compassion, commercial honesty. And showing the love of God is important in, in this whole thing of sanctification. When I say commercial honesty, I mean, you know, just generally in the world, you do what's right. Why do you do what's right? Because it's the right thing to do. Do you know that there's three stages of moral development? Do you realise that? And psychologists tell us that only 30%, no, 33% yeah, of people get past level one of moral development. Level one is I do the right thing based on punishment and reward. I'll only do the right thing if I don't think I'll get caught. That's not commercial honesty. Level two is that I will do the right thing. And this is only 33% getting to level two in the world. I'll do the right thing because somebody I model myself on has shown me that it's the right thing to do. Right, now that'd be most Christians. They reckon 10 to 12% actually reach moral threat, level three of moral development. And that is, I do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Yes. That's sad, isn't it? But that's where God is drawing us in sanctification to just beyond just mimicking Christ to knowing that this is the right thing to do. Commercial honesty, so we do it. And you know, another thing that's important about sanctification is opening up our boundaries to God, not limiting God in what he's allowed to do in our lives, touching our lives, taking our lives, moving our lives, you know? Yes. Just real, let's go do it, Lord. And that's what fitness is all about. 
sanctifying grace comes into our lives from God. And it is that grace that makes us more like Jesus because of the blood of Jesus. That's what it is. Sanctifying grace is a lot like justifying grace. You know, when we were saved, we were justified. We received grace from God that we did not deserve through the blood of Jesus and we were forgiven for our sins and we we became part of God's family, yeah? But we had to step into it, didn't we? See, it was always there since the cross of Christ. But we had to step into justification. We had to receive what Jesus had for us, yeah? Well, it's the same with sanctification. You know, you can be justified, come into the kingdom and just sort of just stand there. I'm justified. But not move into sanctification. The grace is there to grow. We need to step into that just the same as we step into justification. It's a little bit like, uh, I like to, to liken it to a road trip. You know, who likes a road trip? I love a road trip. You know, if it's 5,000 kilometres, I'm just getting going. I love it. I remember one time when we lived in Nullumboy up in Arnhem Land, up on the Gove Peninsula, we decided we'd have a holiday down on the sunny coast. So we jumped in our four-wheel drive and drove down. Five and a half thousand kilometre road trip. Five and a half days. It wasn't until we got within probably 100 k's of Caloundra, Jesse sitting in the back seat said to me, are we there yet, Dad? <laughs> yes, we're there, Jesse. But you imagine if you got your car ready and you had it filled up with fuel and you had your bags packed and all your snacks in there and your water bottles, coffee, everything ready to go, you know, for this road trip. And then you didn't. That's a bit what it's like when we come into the kingdom and don't press into what God has for us in the journey of making us more like Jesus. That's what it's like. It's like not leaving. It's like not progressing. It's like not moving, not achieving, not allowing God to be all he can be in you. It's not changing. It's staying in the status quo. The car's in the shed. Ah, Boring. I can remember when Vivian and I went to Fiji to uh, start the Indian church in Fiji. We were invited to Fiji by the then Prime Minister, Siti Venirambuka. And he wanted us to come to Fiji and start an Indian church in their language, in their culture, in their context, because he believed that that would be the best thing for the Indian people. And I agreed. So Viv and I, we went over to Fiji and met up with all the authorities over there and we were planning to move to Suva and start a church and do all those things, you know. And uh, we put in our application for work permit for Fiji and, uh, you know, I was already learning to speak Hindi and we went back home and we thought it'll be four weeks and we'll have our work permit and we'll be over because we'd sold all our everything. We had nothing just a suitcase each full of clothes, ready to go, you know? And uh, there we were, and no work permit. So we put in another application, another one. And like six months later, we're thinking, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. So we went down to our home church and helped out the pastor there for six months, and then we went up to Malakuta and we visited my mum and dad. And then we decided, well, we're waiting around for this. I might as well finish my bachelor degree. So I went back to college, finished that. 
And then we went to Vanuatu and planted a church in a village called Bamboo. And we're still praying and all of Australia is praying and we're putting work applications in at $2,000 a pop. We're in Vanuatu, we got the news, you've got a work permit. Oh, we were over the moon. I had a mango tree over there. I used to go and sit under this mango tree by the ocean every day and pray for that work permit. We didn't realise until we got to Fiji that we needed a year of prayer by all the Christians in Australia for us to actually succeed when we got there. See, there was purpose in God's pathway. It wasn't easy though. It wasn't easy. It certainly wasn't the picture I had in my mind. And it isn't always easy going along with God and doing what God wants to do. The journey God has in mind is a better journey than the journey that we have in mind. It's a better journey than what we could possibly think up. It's a path of sanctification. It's not just succeeding or succeeding for God or feeling good about the success of how something's going. It's being in it with God and allowing Him to grow you in maturity and wisdom. Boy, do you grow in maturity and wisdom when you're sitting under a mango tree praying for something that you're wondering if it's ever going to happen. That's, that, that, that grows you. God's pathway, significantly different to mine, I've got to tell you. See, something we've got to understand when it comes to sanctification is that the journey to God is as important as the destination. Yeah? The journey to God is as important as the destination. See, our destination's heaven, yeah? Everybody going there? Going there, see you there, okay? But the journey is where we grow. The journey is where God prepares us for life in heaven. I can remember saying to a couple of my mates back in the day when I was working in construction and working in marine engineering and that, and I, I said to one of, well, one of my mates actually said to me, so Peter, you're going to, to train in ministry. I said, yeah, why would you do that? He said, you know, you're managing this company, you know, you're successful, you've got a good job, you're making good money. I said, because this is something I believe God wants me to do. Yeah, but you don't have to do it. Yeah, but I want to get to where I want to go, to heaven. And, and, and he's like looking at me shaking. He said, said, he said I don't want to go to heaven. He said, I'm going to go to hell and have a few beers with my mates. Have you heard people say that? Yeah. And I thought, well, yeah. Why would somebody who isn't connected to God and isn't on the journey of preparation for heaven, why would they want to go to heaven? But friends, we're on that journey. We're on that journey. God is preparing you for life in heaven and that's called sanctification. Preparing you for life in heaven. I think that's exciting. So I don't get upset when God takes me around the block to get next door. I don't get upset about that. You know, I'm next door's there. I'm here, next door's there. I, I'm going to go there. My intention is, I've arrived. God... Let's go this way. And he's showing me stuff and he's showing you stuff all the way around. And he's teaching you things and he's maturing you and he's giving you wisdom. You know, don't pray for patience and think it's going to be smooth. You pray for patience, you're going to earn it. That's how you learn it. You earn it. Wisdom comes, not on the mountaintop, 
But as you battle through the jungle in the valleys and God is in that, he's not, never will he leave us there or forsake us. You know, we've got to have a confidence in God that this is okay. God's got this. We're going to be all right. We're going to do better than all right. We're going to, wow. We're going to blow them out of the water. I love this passage of Scripture and I chose it today because there's another dynamic here as well about sanctification. And Paul says a couple of do's and don'ts. The don'ts are, you know, don't be common. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't, don't wrong your brother. Don't do the wrong thing. But he says these three things. He says, live holy lives. You know what holy is? Holy is that sense of being special, not common, pure. You know a true sign of holiness in a Christian person? There's no secrets here. That's a true sign of holiness. There are no secrets here. That's how God wants us to live. And then it says, what does it say? It says, live a quiet life. I know for sanguine people, that's a little bit difficult. I understand that. Melancholy phlegmatics, not so much. But sanguine, hey, I'm here. But Paul's saying, learn to live a quiet life. Learn, learn to, you know, respect and listen to others. Be humble in a sense is what he's saying. And, you know, humility in its true sense is putting the needs of others ahead of your own. So it means listening, doesn't it? Pastor Stewart's been talking about that a bit lately, hasn't he? Just listen. And Paul's saying that. Part of this whole journey of sanctification, being made more like Jesus, is to live a quiet life. And he says, mind your own business. Whew, that's a bit rough, isn't it? But, you know, you think about it now, friends, in our world of technology where everybody knows everybody else's business, right? Am I right? There's nothing anymore that you know everything about every celebrity. You can, you know, know stuff about other people that people, everybody minds everybody else's business at the moment. So this has never been more important than what it is right now, this one point. Mind your own business. Walk around your own backyard and let the Spirit guide you to get that stump out of there and those weeds out of your life there. Don't be marking other people by what they do, by their standard. Mind your own business and work with your hands. And it doesn't mean that, you know, some people work with their brain more than their hands, right? Um, I work with my hands. I love working with my hands. There's nothing more fulfilling in my life than starting with a pile of timber or a pile of steel and ending up with a boat or a car or something afterwards, you know? Work with your hands. It's good for you. And while you're doing it, it's rewarding. And while you're doing it, guess what? You can talk to God and He can talk to you. He can show you things. He can lead you in things. You know, I solve so many problems in engineering by asking God about it. He knows. He's omniscient. In other words, he knows everything that's possible. You think about how much you know. To know everything, you have to have been at every point in the universe at every point in time. Every point in the universe at every point in time to know everything. So do you reckon do you, reckon you know 1% of everything? 
No, I, I think I'm about a point oh 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 two. God's 100%. He's got all the answers. He's got it all worked out. Hebrews tells us that he is the author of your life, your sanctified life. He's going to take you into that. So Paul says, do that. And he said, in the midst of all of that, guess what? Nobody will be able to point their finger at you and say, you are a bad person. They can't do it because you've done what's right. In doing things that are right and following God's lead, it sometimes means that we've got to leave stuff behind. I'm not just talking about old sins and and new immoralities or something like that. I'm talking about, you know, not saying to God, uh, you know, I'll do this, but but I won't do that. I, I can remember being in college and studying for ministry, you know, and I thought I was going to be a missionary in Africa. Nearly got there. And um, ended up in ministry in Australia as an evangelist. But there were people in my year who had said, I'll only minister when I graduate in West Australia. You never guess where they come from. West Australia. There were other people who said, I will not go further north to do ministry than the Queensland border. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, God loves a challenge. I'm not going to put a limit on this because as sure as God made little green apples, whatever I say, I'm not going to do. That's going to be be my place of growth, yeah? Yeah. So I said to God, whatever. Whatever. Learning to leave things behind. Remember Jesus was with the disciples and he sent them out the first time? It's actually in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 10. And he sends them out and what does he say to them? Go out, he said, you know, don't take any money with you. Don't take a spare cloak, one pair of shoes, you know, the minimum. Go to the people of Israel and, and spread the gospel. It wasn't apostle boot camp he was sending them on, you know. He already knew what the needs were and weren't. He knew what they needed and what had just bogged them down. But on the second mission journey that he sends them out on, which is uh, listed in Luke twenty-two twenty-six, he says something different. He says, if you don't have a sword, buy one. Take a spare pair of shoes, an extra cloak, dot, 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 you know, and some money. He was sending them to a different area. That's what God's like. He knows what you need before you get there. He's got it all in place. When Vivian and I arrived in Fiji, there was a house for us to rent, all of that. God is so far ahead of us. God's omnipresent. You've got to realise this. God took a bit out of eternity and called it the time-space continuum. God is at the day of creation and the day of judgment and everywhere in between at the same time because he's not bound by what he creates. Blows my mind, but it gives me confidence that wherever I go, He is there. He's there before me. He's got it worked out. He's telling me what I need, what I don't need. We should allow God to take us how He wants to take us. A guy I trained in ministry years ago, he said, I'll be a missionary, but I'll only be a missionary if I can use my natural abilities. He eventually got a ministry, a missionary position overseas and uh, where he was using his natural abilities. Didn't go very well. Didn't go very well. See, God had more. There was more. 
There was God's ability through him. God's working largely in spite of me rather than because of me. Now think about it. You know, God and me together, we make up the majority in the world, don't we? How powerful is that? So I, I, can, I, can, I can lean into that in a big way. I can do that and we're finishing up now, folks. I wonder if somebody can come up and uh, play some music. What are we saying? Sanctification is don't be common. You're not common. Nobody in this room here is common. Not for common use, not for worldly use. Even though your place of ministry may be, as we found this morning, one lady in a pizza shop, somebody in a post office. You might work in finances. A lot of people work in finances, don't they, Joe? A lot in cans. You might work in politics. You might work at a motel or a tradie like I was, like I started out. That's your place of ministry. But what's God going to do in that beyond what you can possibly ask or imagine? You're not common and you're not common in that place. You're special. You're set apart. And God will do amazing things as you allow him to walk you through that journey that he has for you. It's not always easy. Not always easy. You don't grow on the mountaintop. But what we've got to realise is that God is preparing us for life in heaven. How's he doing that? Our life is pure in sanctification. It's a life that is pure before God. It's a life that is righteous before the law. And it's a life that is blameless before the world. That's what we've got. That's special. I want to hang on to that and I want to grow in to who I am. I want to grow into all that I can be. That's sanctification. His grace through our cooperation. His grace through our cooperation. Let's stand together. We might sing that uh, song again. If God's been speaking to you this morning, you know, I tell you, for me, it was like I came to a line. And from then on, at that line, I had to commit my life into the process that God had for me. Not just in my salvation, which had been the journey to this point, but where He wanted to take me next. I had to step into it. I had to step over that line and say to God, OK, you and me. Take me, Lord, do what you want to do. For most of you, He's already doing that. It's just that He wants to increase the power and the deliverance of that into your life. And I know that's true. How do I know that's true? He hasn't finished with me yet. He hasn't. My 90-year-old dad praises God every day for the new things that God's bringing into his life. 90 years old. You can't shut him up. He's talking about Jesus everywhere he goes. It's awesome. I got the privilege to baptise my mum and dad, lead him into the kingdom and to see what he's doing and the giftedness. I never knew that was coming until I got on the journey. So just as we sing this song today, if God's been ministering to your heart by His Spirit and His Word, come down, we'll pray together. And let's draw that line on the floor and get over it and move on. No matter what point you're at. Yeah? Let's sing. There is no one like you.